if you were visiting communist China, how anxious would you be to just, you know, hop on a train unsupervised and do some exploring and meet people? Well, that's what my guest this week did. This is the greatest story ever podcast. There comes a time when all the cosmic tumblers have clicked into place and the universe opens itself up for a few seconds to show you what's possible. With Keith Conrad. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. I'm continuing my weekly quest to talk with people about the craziest life experience they've ever had. One person I might want to track down is Maria Moreno of North Carolina. She didn't quite win the billion-dollar jackpot in Mega Millions last week, but she did collect $181,121 recently. That's a good payday, but the thing that makes it really noteworthy is she won using a special set of numbers that she inherited from her late grandmother. She passed away two years ago, and Maria used her lucky numbers. Of course, you'd already know about Maria's lucky numbers if you visited KeithConradMedia.com and signed up for my free email newsletter, The News SideQuest. Every weekday, I send out a collection of thought and lull-inducing stories, along with my snarky commentary and a few gifts. In this podcast, I've already talked with people who visited far-flung places like Scotland, Thailand, actually two people for Thailand, and East Germany. My guest today has his own story of getting out in the world and having amazing experiences. Dan Ehrman, thanks so much for joining me. Well, it's good to be with you, Keith. I'm excited to join the Keith Conrad podcast of the hour. And uh, so I think probably about a month ago, I talked to uh, my buddy Rick Kempfer, who's, uh, who's a writer and a publisher, about the time that uh, when he was a teen, he and his dad visited East Germany. And he ended up uh, having a, a nice little chat with the, the East German secret police because he, he brought the wrong passport that basically showed that his dad worked for the Defense Department. And so, like, it was possible he could have been busted, you know, for espionage because he had the wrong passport. Um, y- you also visited a communist country, uh, but I don't think you had quite any incidents like that. Thankfully not. It could have been uh, a, a bit more exciting with that, with you know, even bigger language barriers and cultural barriers to hurdle. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good question. I wonder if there are more English speakers in Germany than, than China or if it's about the same. There are more English language learners in China than there are people in America. I Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah, that would that would be an issue. So... Um, so t- tell me about your, your visit to China, uh, and, and what was, what was like ba- basically the, the most, uh, the most exciting thing that happened while you were there. So I lived in China for almost two years and it was my first job out of college. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do and uh, I could go work with my dad's business and I wasn't terribly excited about doing that. Uh, and so I ended up finding a job working as an English teacher at Neimongu Gongyadashwe, which in English is Inner Mongolia Polytechnic University. Mm-hmm. And I worked as their foreign language English teacher in the English department at the university. And it's kind of a, uh, uh, I'd call it a cow town, but it's probably more of like a sheep town in Inner Mongolia. <laughs> cow town and probably still has like 7 million people in it. One and a half. Well, that, that's that's not too bad. Although in, in China terms, it's probably like a small suburb, right? 
Yeah, I would tell Chinese people who are like from Shanghai where I was living and working and they'd look at me like, do you ride a horse to get to work? And, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, the equivalent of saying you work in Midland, Texas or something in the U.S. Yeah. So um, obviously uh, we're, we're sitting here talking. So nothing, nothing seriously bad happened. Not yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was actually a really amazing experience in terms of work and uh, in what I did there. Uh, and it, it, there were so many little things that you were, everything was different. I, the first day I got there, I had been in Beijing for like three, two or three weeks before kind of getting training and acclimating to China. And um, I showed up in, you know, late August and crash at like the foreign expert residence in Inner Mongolia in, in Hohat. And I didn't know a soul there. And I was hungry and I was tired and I'd been on an overnight train from Beijing and I got into my room and I was like, I was just so overwhelmed. I just cried for like a half an hour and you hear I'm like, 22 and like I you know wash my face and you know muscle myself back up and get out there well I mean I when I was about that age you know that was when I interned at, at WGN here in Chicago so I was going from you know like college in Alabama to you know be, being here in Chicago so I can I, I, I could see how like you some, know, some tears were shed in that context as well, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can, I can see how that would be overwhelming because, like, you don't even have the uh, the the element of, you know, being in a in a in a foreign country like, you know, like like we said, there's a lot of people yeah. speaking English, so you're not quite going to be as lost as you might be they, in other places but still there's they, a lot to deal with they do say the chicago accent is like the ugliest sounding accent in america but that aside uh you navigated <laughs> your way through uh you know back in china uh it, what's amazing in china is i learned so many things about people there along the way mm -hmm. like there when these students arrive to the university from their towns all over rural areas like they're the best students in their in their local hometown they've worked you know tens of thousands of hours to get to that point where they're at the school like some of these students like their whole community chipped in money so that they could afford to go to the school mm -hmm. it was crazy what what people went through to get that education and opportunity and they you know they just were really proud of it and, and took a lot of pride and workmanship and and that uh but these students would be dropped into their dorm rooms with they would put like six or eight students in one dorm room on like four bunk beds and uh, you know and make it work and yeah. dive right in and they would have shared phone lines and they would call home and speak to their parents and loved ones back where they're from and for the first three or four months of the year the students wouldn't be able to understand each other when they would call home because their local dialects were so different from like hill town to hill town they could barely even communicate and so the first you know, few months of university in a lot of ways was them being trained up in the Putonghua, the the Chinese sort of uh, approved uh, universal uh, dialect mm -hmm. of of uh, Mandarin.
Mandarin. And, uh, but yeah, there's just so many differences there that we wouldn't have so much in, in the U.S. And uh, it, a lot of, uh, you know, just people are all over the place. So, you know, you talk about traveling and uh, in being in China, I, it's probably the craziest thing that I've done was we had our uh, winter uh, spring festival holiday, kind of their winter break, if you mm-hmm. will, in the middle between the semesters. And they go home for six weeks in like January and the first week of February. And I'm like, I am not going back to Chicago for January. <laughs> it's No, uh, no you're, you're probably much better off being in China. Yeah. Well, in, where anywhere, I lived. Anywhere in China. Uh, not necessarily. <laughs> where I lived, I learned that negative 40 is the t- same temperature in Fahrenheit and Celsius. Um, I was on the edge of the Gobi Desert near Mongolia. And so it got brutally cold in the winters. And people still rode their bikes. It was incredible. Uh, <laughs> and it, so I got out of there. I, was, I said, you know, let, let's. Uh, go to warmer pastures and uh, headed on a 46 hour train ride with my buddy Ward uh, and we rode down to Yunnan province and uh, to uh, Chiang Mai and or not Chiang Mai, uh, that was later on, that was, that's Thailand uh, but uh, it's into Yunnan province and uh, then from there we ended up taking other trains and bus rides and all the rest. We end up in the foothills of near outside of Tibet mm-hmm. and on the uh, western edge of uh, Yunnan province. And we're up in this lake village called Lugu Lake, Lugu Hu. And uh, it's a bit of a summer destination for some Chinese and has some history to it. Mm-hmm gorgeous lake it's up you know you're 10,000 feet up and so it's like you're in the it's like being in the Rockies but you're at this huge lake and the water's crystal clear and the local people just scoop it up and drink it right on the spot it's incredible and we decided well let's keep going and so we we took canoes um, with some folks across the lake and then they said well it's about three hours over the hill but you're a fat guy so it might be four for you <laughs> well <laughs> uh, uh, and then about six and a half hours later i found myself in tears again uh we had been over two mountains and we still had a third one to go and i'm i'm looking at that when are we going to get there we another two two and a half hours we keep walking we end up in this little village in, in the middle of nowhere and it's a people group called the Osu people and it's a matriarchal society so you think china china like culturally is kind of like texas mm-hmm. like bigger and better very like over the top masculinity and that kind of thing well here's a matriarchal society in the middle of you know texas if you will oh wow and so the women own all the property in the local dialect of the mosu people they don't in the local dialect have a word for father and so the women will invite a man in to live with them for a season, and he may stay there long term. He may not, and it's up to the women in, in how they navigate that. We showed up in the village, and we weren't sure where we were going to stay. My buddy Ward, is he's like 6'3", handsome, like he's, he's Dutch and looks the part, the blonde hair, blue eyes, and all the rest. Um, and the women started walking around him like you would see guys ogling 
uh, a woman, mm-hmm. you know, at a bar or something like that in in America, and it's like reversed, and you're like, what is this? <laughs> Probably gives you a different perspective on the on the people uh, oogling women in bars. Then, I I suppose I don't know, <laughs> uh, but you know, to 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 see that happen, it was just incredible to to watch that dynamic. We ended up we couldn't find a hotel. There was no hotels, and they said, well. The best place that you can stay is the local Tibetan Buddhist temple. Mm-hmm. And at the temple, it, the property was owned by a woman and they had like a temple space built into it and then some guest rooms and uh, they cooked us dinner. And then they said, oh, come and hang out and go into like this vaulted area that they had. And there's mm-hmm. a giant campfire and it, but there's a roof. I look up, there's like a foot long gap like 20 feet up there's a gap between the wall and the roof for it to vent out and so uh, we sit in there until I don't know one in the morning we're just hanging out and he's telling us uh, all about the culture and the people well in the room all around the room they have they recently butchered a pig and we had seen the pig skin carcass in the room where we were eating sitting on a couple of uh, pallets Mm -hmm. and we go in there and it was all like salted meat hanging all around the entire room of like the entire pig, uh, in, on display. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, going from there and then, you know, this is right on the edge of where the Tiger Leaping Gorge is. People might be familiar with that. And, you know, this is uh, a giant mountains and cliffs and rivers and rapids that go through there. You can walk the Tiger Leaping Gorge. My mom forbid me to do it. So uh, <laughs> she said, I, d- I don't want to have to figure out how to you know, get you home in a, in a box. And <laughs> uh, very dangerous. You know, yeah. It's a dangerous hike where you're literally on a cliff and you're scooting along holding onto a rope on the edge of a cliff. And uh, it, probably a wise thing for my mom to tell me not to do with a 70 pound sack yeah i I would say so yeah (laughs) uh so you know to go through an experience that was just amazing in in terms of life and culture uh another time a couple a few times i had students who would invite me to their little small town where they were from Mm -hmm. and i would go and hang out with them and we would show up in the traditional home in rural china is uh kind of um like a giant rectangle where you have a front gate that's like a a brick or or cmu wall gate uh and uh, then it, it, there's maybe like a, basically a garage, but not for cars, uh, mm-hmm. right there at the front. And then there's a courtyard inside, and in the courtyard they'll have uh, a latrine and trees and you know fruit trees or a little garden, or they'll have pets or goats or you know who knows what. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go into the actual house behind that off the road, and. Most of the folks, you would walk in to this main room that's like a living room, but there's this giant raised platform that's like a little taller than, you know, it's kind of the height of a dresser here in the U.S. You would Mm -hmm. think of where it's like, you know, maybe hip height or something like that coming in. And there's a pad on top of it and it's huge. It's like half the size of the room. And then behind that, there's a little kitchen cooking area. And so what they'll do is in the winter, they take... 
coal briquettes, not charcoal, but like coal, uh, Mm -hmm. and drop it into their little cooking area and fire up their dinner and then exhaust that under that platformed area that's built out of brick and then, you know, exhausted out the, the side wall. And that platform then becomes where the entire family will sleep overnight. So they'll put like a thick pad on, on the platform and everybody just conks out in the same room overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, they often have a side bedroom, but it's not heated. You don't have any central heating and it's super cold. And so that's like the summer bedroom for mom and dad. But in the winter, it's all in this communal space and just a very different way of living and you know it was like stepping back 150 years in time in certain moments but you have like a cell phone yeah <laughs> what's well, like you know using every part of the buffalo you know that that right. they you know so, somewhere along the lines you know they've had had plenty of time to figure it out but someone uh, said hey we've got all this uh, heat from when we're cooking why don't we just actually use it yeah, it, yeah. It, nothing went to waste in, you know, the entire pig on display, yeah. you know, and, and butchering it up and uh, really incredibly innovative, hardworking folks. And there is a beauty and simplicity to that rural life mm-hmm. that to visit for a day or two is really cool. But you can see how it would be a long slog to do that work and be inconvenienced in those ways regularly. And so you're seeing in China, uh, probably since then, what I just described is almost a bygone era where it's um, not really Soviet block apartment complexes, a little nicer than that. Mm-hmm. But that kind of an idea where the, their developers will come in or the, the city or the, the government will come in and buy up a bunch of property and builds new housing for everyone and people are so excited because they can trade in their hutong their kind of traditional house for a modern apartment and some of that is really great because it's so much more convenient and easier to live nicer in lifestyle but the downside is you lose all of this culture and history and you know all of that is being forgotten mm-hmm. so at this point in my life i've been to canada uh, Mexico and the Bahamas. So I still, I, I've got some catching up to do as far as uh, international travel. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be more afraid of the Quebecois than the Chinese communists. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've talked to, uh, just in this podcast, I've talked to other people who have traveled around the world. Um, Rick had probably the, the, the most uh, death-defying story with the, uh, with the Stasi. But, uh, uh, you know, everybody else there, it was it was mostly mostly positive. Um, What what would be uh, what would be your advice for somebody uh, going to a completely different uh, uh, country, you know, halfway around the world and and a different culture and having to, you know, ending up in that moment you were in where, you know, it all hits you and you're like in tears because there's just so, so much to take in. If you're comfortable, you haven't really been there yet. There's a sense where you need to sit and feel the uncomfortability 
mm-hmm. and observe and interact with people and take risks and learn how to trust strangers and build friendships with strangers that you can't speak with but mm-hmm. can want to communicate with and they want to communicate with you. And there's a sense where you start to trust fundamental human decency. That can bite you in the butt a little bit, but <laughs> it typically won't. And, mm-hmm. you know, very, very rarely will people take advantage of you. If you have some basic street smarts, you know, if you're, if you, if you're out drunk at one o'clock in the morning, you've already made a choice, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And, and it, when you think about it, like your, your best uh, stories in life aren't, well, you know, I had a, I had a, a nice relaxing day, you know, no, nothing, nothing happened. So just get out there and. And uh, and be uncomfortable comfortable because that's when the most interesting things will happen. It is, but you know we're we're kind of talking we're almost a year into COVID and lockdown, and everybody who's got a travel bug is dying right now and wants to get out and go. <laughs> yeah. Whenever COVID goes away uh, or is managed somehow, and uh, it, folks are going to travel like never before, mm-hmm. and uh, part of travel is having a creative mind and exercising that. And that's something that you can do while you're sitting at home, while you're in your neighborhood of some of these things that you would do and get out and see and explore in another country you haven't done yet in your own backyard. How many Mm -hmm. forest preserves in your county have you never been to? How many people in your neighborhood have you never even said hi to and interacted with? What's their story? Uh, What's that interaction? look like and there's so much that we can explore at home and you can start to exercise yourself in that even in the midst of shutdown where you can socially distance with a neighbor and chat with them at the end of the driveway for a half an hour you get to know people Uh, so you you have to ask questions be curious and it will train your mind as you shift into actually traveling of having courage to Mm -hmm. step out get to know some people learn something new well, I'd say that's uh, that's good life advice. So th- thanks so much for sharing your story. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking me about it. It's always fun to talk about China. And, you know, it's an amazing country. There's no end to the people and the cultures. There's like 960 people groups in China, maybe over a thousand. Mm. And the government officially recognizes 56 of those and that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, there's 20, 30 times more than what the government officially recognizes in the nuances and traditions and history. Uh, it's a country where if you're curious about it, uh, Go to Beijing, you know, go go see the Great Wall, go see Tiananmen Square, but take the time to get off of the beaten path a little bit. And, you know, if you can afford it, take the two week trip to China and go explore some other cities that you've never heard of, might be curious about. If you want to check out Inner Mongolia, Hohat, I recommend it. It's a cow town of two million people. And, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, people will be excited to meet you and welcome you in and and excited to have you there. If you think you can top Dan's story, shoot me an email at greateststoryeverpodcast at gmail.com. Gabatron.